we're privileged and we're honored. You can, you can imagine, just take a moment with me and use your holy imagination and, and think what it must be like to, to be the guy that has to speak the week after Todd White was here. <laughs> and then you know my dilemma, you know where I'm at. So um, I'm just glad it's about Jesus and not about me, amen? Are you as well? Yeah, because I know uh, a number of you that are here, uh, last time I was here was last March, March of 2017, and uh, so m- most of you, probably many of you, didn't hear me speak. That's the only time I've, I've been in the church. You, you don't know who I am. So I know you're doing what you always do with new guests, right? You're sizing me up. Right now, you're determining if you like that guy, if you're going to be able to receive from him, if you like his style. I know how it is, because I do it, right? So I just want you to lay that down for a minute, okay? And, and I want to challenge you today to listen for the voice of Jesus to you. Listen for the voice of your Father. Amen? Thank you for being such a great church. Uh, thank you for, for um, welcoming the presence of God and being so hungry, um, being a part of an atmosphere where God's welcome and where the Word is welcome, where the Spirit can move. And God's doing some great things in your midst. I know you've had a number of people come through here, prophesy that to you, tell you that. Um, I know you've heard you know, a number of words about the kind of church that you are and, and you have a vision to be a church that's kind of a hub for, for God's movement and, and sending and reaching the, the nations, all those things. And I just want to confirm you're on track and I just have a great sense about where you're going as a church. I shared with your leaders yesterday, uh, just to tell you this, uh, to do, what all, do whatever you can to maintain a spirit of humility and to stay before God recognizing that what he's doing is his work and he gets all the credit and the honor and the glory for it, amen? And, and just recognizing that uh, it's his choice, his desire. Many have gone before you and prepared the way. You're entering into some things that are just a gift. Everything that God is doing is a gift. It's not because you're better. It's not because you're exclusive. It's not because you're cooler. It's not because you're just a special church. It's just because God loves to do great things through humble people, right? And he just loves to, to smile on regions with his presence. And he's looking for some people that will cooperate with him. So keep cooperating with him and maintain a humble spirit. Amen? So praise the Lord. Will you pray with me? And then I'm going to share something that's on my heart. So Father, we love you. We thank you for being here. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for all that you are, all that you've done, every one of us that are sitting here in this room, even if there's people here that don't yet know you, Lord, I I know that you're at work. I know that you're moving in their hearts, speaking to them right now. And so I pray that you would manifest yourself here through the word and by your spirit. You'd say what you wanna say. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We know you've been here all morning making Jesus real, making Jesus big. Uh, causing our hearts to be open to the love of the Father. We thank you, Holy Spirit. Be our teacher, illuminator, helper. Enlighten the scripture. Bring it to life. Cause it to come off the page and into our hearts and into our lives. Lord, be with my mouth and mind. and Give me the ability to represent you well. Be with our hearts and our feet. Help us to live out and, 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 and internalize what we hear and then live it out in our day-to-day life. Lord, I pray it would be so many, many thousands in this region can come to know Jesus so they come to know who you really are. And we thank you for that in your awesome, precious name. Amen. All right, I gotta take a drink. Got kind of a dry voice. I I lost my voice a few weeks ago. I got this bug, right? And I was preaching real hard and singing real hard in church for two services, and I lost my voice. And for the last few weeks, I've been fighting to get it back. It's been right on the edge. And so I was, so, uh, Pastor Aaron was uh, calling all of us in the first service to shout. And I was restraining a little bit because I'm like, man, I don't want to shout my voice away and then get up there and not have a voice. So I just want you to know the reason it took you a couple times is because I wasn't fully cooperating and I, I repent. I was kind of like, yay, Jesus. So anyway, that's what happened. Sorry, man, my fault. I was bringing a lid on the anointing. You know, uh, a gentleman who was a professed Christian was sick, really sick, seriously ill, uh, fighting even to, to keep his life, and he became troubled about the fact that his heart felt such little love toward God. He felt almost like he was cold or dull toward God, and uh, he shared his experience with a close friend, and this is how the friend answered him. He said, you know, when I go home from here, 
I'm going to come in the door and take up my little baby on my knee, and I'm going to look into her sweet eyes, listen to her charming baby prattle, and tired as I am, her presence will rest me. For I will love that child with unutterable tenderness, but she loves me little. If my heart were breaking, it wouldn't disturb her sleep. If my body was racked with pain, it would not interrupt her play. If I were to die, she'd forget me in a few days. Besides this, she had never really brought me a penny. Her being in my life had never brought financial blessing. But rather, she was a constant expense to me. Anybody ever feel that way? He said, I'm not rich, but there's not enough money in the entire world to buy my baby from me. You could not purchase my child. How is that? Does she love me or do I love her? Do I withhold my love until I know she loves me? Am I waiting for her to do something worthy of my love before extending it? This practical illustration of the love of God for his children caused tears to come and roll down the man's face and he said, oh, I see. It's not my love to God that really counts, but it's God's love for me, and that's what I need to concentrate on. And I do love him now more than I've ever loved him before. I wanna talk to you today about the love of God. And if you were gonna put a title on this, I just wanna tell you that you are beloved sons and daughters of God. Um, I, I know that's simple. I know that many of us, we, we're like, you know, I already know that message. I've already heard that word. I know already that God loves me. Let's move on to heavy revies. Let's get a bone from the throne. Let's get something deeper, right? We're, we're looking for deeper, but what I've come to learn in my own walk with Jesus Christ is that I have to be continually reminded of those things which are most important, right? I have to be reminded of the majors because it's our tendency so often to get caught up in the tributaries and the minors. It's so, it's, it's so often what, what happens to us is we get, we get caught up in, in what we can do for God and getting busy for God and accomplishing much and all of that's important. But in the process of that, we don't even realize it, but we cross a line and we start to live out of performance and we start to live out of trying to make God happy. And then we begin to feel like we're blowing it, we're never good enough, we're not achieving enough, you know, we're not winning enough people to Jesus, or we're not a very good parent. I know some of you in this room, you struggle feeling constantly like, I'm not a very good mommy, right? You got your kids at home, you're blowing it sometimes, you get angry, you lose, you know, your, your temper, or you're just going about your job and you don't feel like you're a very good witness, and you're struggling in life, and I'm not trying to let you off the hook, but what I want to do is let you off the hook, I want to tell you right now that the most important thing that you need to remember and know in your life is that you are a beloved son and a beloved daughter, and because of what Jesus Christ has done, that is a settled issue. You can never be loved more than you're loved right now. You can't do anything to change that love. You are absolutely loved by God. You're the beloved of God, and that is done because of what Jesus Christ did. It's settled. When he said it's finished, he was proclaiming something that's a reality. Now that doesn't mean there isn't obedience. That doesn't mean that good works don't follow. That doesn't mean we shouldn't live holy. But we live holy and we do good works and we obey because we're loved. And we're settled in that love. It goes deep into our roots and our bones. It's a part of who we are. It's a settled issue in our life. You know, regularly in my own life, I, I have to come back to that. I have to come back to and settle into the fact that I'm loved. Last week I took a little personal retreat, and I don't say that to sound like I'm really spiritual. I just, I felt desperate, right? I, I, I knew I was coming here, and Todd White was just here. Oh God, I gotta take a retreat. Just kidding. No, I knew I was also, I'm going to Zimbabwe in a couple of weeks, and taking a team, and we're going over there to do ministry, and I felt like, you know, I've been so busy, I've been going like crazy, I need to just set myself aside to the Lord. So I set myself aside to the Lord. and I'm, I'm up at a, a condo in, in Idaho, you know, near the mountains, and I'm, I'm just really crying out to God. I'm really seeking Him. And I'm, you know, come on, Lord, you gotta talk to me. You gotta talk to me. And for two days, I'm like, you gotta talk to me. You gotta speak to me. Nothing, nothing. 
And I began to really feel like, you know, I'm not doing enough. Maybe I, you know, what, what do I need to do? I need to cry out more? Do I need to fast more? Do I, do I need to, you know, take long, longer prayer walks? Do I need to stay up? And I be, in my mind, I started thinking, what do I need to do to move God? I didn't even realize I was doing. It was subconscious. I was slipping into performance. I was slipping into what is going to move God to talk to me. And kind of right in the middle of all that, as that was happening, I, I just heard this still, small voice. Basically, stop it. Stop it. Just be. Be with me. Be with me. Let something be imparted. You know, it, it was like I, I was there to get God to give me something because I got a lot of stuff ahead of me and I want to make sure that I, I'm, you know, I'm on task, I, I have the word, I'm, I'm ready to go, and I've just felt like God saying, that's not why you're here. You're here to just be with me. You're here to just be, not do. We're not human doings, right? We're human beings. And I've, I, I got over into human doing, and I was trying to twist God's arm with my performance to get him to do for me what I wanted him to do for me, and it wasn't happening. And he just said, calm down a little bit. Well, today, what I want to talk about is the fact that you're a beloved son and you're a beloved daughter of God, and I want to use Jesus as our pattern because he is the pattern, right? He is the pattern son. He's the one that models for us all that our life is to be. If you want to know what the Christian life is about, the Christian life is to become like Jesus in character and mission, right? That's what a disciple is, a person that follows him, knows him, and becomes like him in character and mission. And that's what I want to be, and that's what you want to be. We're not just here to go to heaven, and we're not just here to get other people to go to heaven and do something for God. We're here to do both, and we're here to get to know Him, right? And it's out of knowing Him and beholding Him and being confident in who we are as sons and daughters that we minister His life, we minister His love. Is that helping anybody? I want to start out with this, and that's the idea that in Jesus we relate to God as daughters and sons of God. Ephesians 5.1, I want you to look at the screen. And look what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, therefore, be imitators of God, notice this, as beloved children. Be imit- think about that. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Now, there's some simple but profound truths in that. First of all, it's God's design that we become like Jesus and relate to our Father as Jesus did. You ever think about that? You're to relate to God in the same way that Jesus did. Have you ever noticed the relationship Jesus had with his father? I mean, when he talks to him, he he talks about his delight. He talks about loving him. He speaks to the father on behalf of others, and it's as though it's it's just pure joy between him and the father. There's this, uh, this knowing that goes two ways. Father knows his son, and the son knows his father. That's what God wants for you. And God is knowable. Isn't that what makes the gospel, isn't that what makes biblical Christianity so different? We actually say and believe that God is knowable. We're not just here performing. We're not just here doing church. We're not just here to get busy. We are here to know God and make him known. And you can't make him known if you don't really know him, right? I mean, you can talk about him, and he'll still use you, and things will still happen, but when you know him, something happens to other people just by coming in contact with you. Amen. Amen. Secondly, it's God's design to relate to us as he does his son. When Father relates to you, he relates to you in the person of Jesus. You are in him. You are in Christ, and so as he looks at you, as he relates to you, as he speaks to you, as he loves you, as he challenges you, he challenges you as though you're in his own son because you are. So that's powerful, and then when we see Jesus clearly, he tells us who we are. We find our identity in him. I I don't have time to go into it, but the most life-changing encounter I ever had with Jesus, and this was 32 years ago. 32 years ago, I had this encounter with Jesus that the, the bottom line to it was he showed me that I was striving. I was striving and I was struggling and I was failing and I was falling. I was a young man who was struggling with sin. I was a young man who didn't seem to be able to do anything I was doing job-wise or anything else well. And I was stumbling all over the place. Life seemed hard and I felt like 
God, you must be so disappointed in me. I'm not fulfilling my call. I'm not being the man you want me to be. And I'm a failure. And one day I was looking in the scripture and I came to 2 Corinthians 3.18 and I began to meditate on it. And I walked over to a mirror because it says, as you behold, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, you're constantly transfigured into his very own image and likeness. And I walked over to the mirror and I began to talk to God. And I said, what are you saying to me? You're saying if I look in the word, if I look for your face in the word and I behold you as in a mirror, I'll be changed. And in that moment, I had a really amazing experience and I was drawn face to face with Jesus and as I looked upon him he began to show me first he showed me my own face I saw my own face in the mirror and he began to show me that um, the way I change is by beholding the way I change is by looking I don't change just by striving I I, I was looking at the, the bottomless pit of self I was opening myself up like a, a vortex and I was looking at all that was dark all that I was bad at all that I was not all that I was not doing and as I beheld that I got more and more discouraged and more and more depressed and he said lift up your eyes and look at me and behold me and as I began to look at him I changed my face changed and as it changed my face was replaced by the face of Jesus and I became aware of the glory of God it was like a golden light that was in the air it filled everything and I fell down on my face and I began to weep and at that moment the Lord spoke to my heart and said you will never become the man I created you to become by looking at self you'll only change as you behold me. You'll only change as you come to recognize that your identity comes out of knowing me. Right? And so, so many in this generation, think about us. Think about the people you're trying to reach. Think about the daddy issues, the mommy issues, the broken families, the lack of identity, the shattered culture we live in, the fact that so many of us are addicted to something. We're either addicted to a screen, we're addicted to meth, or we're addicted to alcohol, or we're addicted to sexual things. We're addicted everywhere, our eye gates, our ear gates, our body. We're just you know, addicted, and why are we addicted? Because we're a people without identity. We're a people who don't really believe we're loved. We're a people that are hungry and thirsty to really be validated as human beings that mean something to God so what do we have to offer what is the beauty of the gospel a father sent a son to demonstrate love that we might be reconciled back to the father and be told you're beloved you count you mean something to me you're worth giving it all I'll change the whole universe I'll move heaven and earth I'll become a man to reconcile you back the gospel's amazing It's a beautiful story because it goes right to the root of who we are as human beings. We look in a generation that can't even figure out our sexuality. We can't even figure out which way we're going. We don't know what we are anymore, and it's because we don't know our God. And that's what we have to offer. Getting excited. Can you tell? So I want to take you quickly. Oh, gosh, Lord. I want to take you quickly through four stages of what it means to be a beloved son and daughter, and I want you to see it in the scripture with me. And my first text will be in Mark chapter one, and here's my first thought, very simple stuff, but my first thought is this. You are the beloved son and daughter of God. You are. Now, I want you to do something before we get into the text. I want you to put your hand on your heart. And I want you to say this like you believe it. Say this with me. I am a beloved son. Or if you're a daughter, say daughter, okay? That'd be kind of weird. Okay, so so say this. I'm a beloved son. I'm a beloved son. Now say it like you believe it. I am a beloved son of God. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? You receive it? Did you blab it and grab it? Did you confess it and possess it? Amen, it's yours. Mark chapter one, verse nine. Look at what it says here. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth, of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son with whom I am, with you I am well pleased. You are my beloved son with you I am well pleased. Now here's what's interesting. Before Jesus had done any ministry, before he had healed any sick bodies, before he had preached any sermons, Father God told him, you're my beloved son and I'm well pleased with you. And what's the lesson for us? The lesson for us is your performance, your works 
what you can do for God are not going to be the things ultimately that validate your identity. Your identity is validated simply in the fact that you are a child of God and you are beloved. Now here's the interesting thing as well. Before Jesus would, right after this, he goes into the wilderness for 40 days and he fasts and he faces the greatest temptation of his life. The devil comes to him and tempts him. Now, he was able to withstand that temptation not just because he wielded the scripture, not just because he took the Bible out and quoted it against the devil, who happened to quote the Bible to him as well. By the way, the devil knows the Bible better than you do. Right? What caused him to be able to stand with Scripture was the fact that he had just been validated once again and affirmed by his Father, and he knew who he was. He knew his identity in Jesus Christ. He could stand against the enemy's accusations and temptations because he knew his sonship. How many of you like the movie The Lion King? I love that, that scene in The Lion King when you know uh, Simba is with uh, Nala, with Nala, some of you are like, what? Simba's with Nala and they're in the lion graveyard, I mean, excuse me, elephant graveyard, right? And here come these hyenas and they're backed up, you know, to to all of these bones and, and they're trapped and these hyenas come up and they're mocking them and they're about to kill Simba and Nala and, 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 and finally Simba decides, I gotta, I gotta muster up a, a, a roar because the lion's roar always terrifies hyenas, right? And these hyenas are like, <laughs> that's what they're doing, right? That's pretty good. Yeah. And so Simba, you know, he, he gets it going and he, he goes, Rawr! and these hyenas are, <laughs> You know, they're not impressed at all. And he thinks, I, got, I just got to try harder. And once again, he, he gets, you know, a roar going. I think he does it two or three times. But he goes, and right as he goes, his father is behind him. And his father goes, and it shakes, you know, the hyenas. And they kind of scatter for a second. And he grabs Simba and Nala. And he rescues them. And he gets them out of there. And at that moment, I, I, when I remember when I watched it, I remember thinking, what a beautiful picture of our power and deliverance. Our ability to stand and roar in Jesus. We can let out our little roar, but we have to understand we're backed by a far greater roar. We're in the lion of the tribe of Judah. Amen? See, Jesus could withstand the temptation he could withstand the moment because he was affirmed in his father. He knew who he was. Simba even knew who he was. He knew, I'm a lion. I might be a little guy right now, but inside of me, I'm a big lion. And father was there for him. And, and that's the case here as well. But I want you to notice something. This is really interesting in the scripture. Stage one is, you are my beloved son. But stage two is, this is my beloved son or daughter. And why is that important? Because Matthew's gospel reads different than Mark's. I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but Matthew's gospel says this. In Matthew chapter three, verse 16 and 17, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him, and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved Son. What, what's that all about? The Father took time to affirm his own son in the hearing of others. And that's part of our identity. See, we all need to hear from God, you're my beloved, you're my beloved son or daughter, but we also need God to speak on our behalf and tell others, this is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter, and unfortunately, many of us, because we're not secure in our identity, we're out trying to prove something to people. We're out trying to get people to pat us on the back and give us kudos and tell us good job. We're really working and striving in life to get others to acknowledge who we are, our identity as human beings, because human beings have to be known. 
Right, that's part of how we were created. We were created to be known. We wanna be acknowledged. We wanna be valued. That's why when you're going down the street and you see a homeless person, even if you don't have any money to give to them, look them in the eye, acknowledge them, smile at them, and let them know they count. Pray for them, speak to them, take time with them. In doing that, you validate their humanity, and that is the first step toward lifting them out of whatever they're in. That's why the gospel isn't just telling people something, it's, it's showing them the life and the love of God, validating them as human beings and their value. Amen? Here, the father is being like some of you parents. You know, you go to a game, a soccer game, a softball game, a baseball game, or you go to a dance recital and your kid's up there. And you can't help yourself, can you? I mean, you just have to say, hey, that's Johnny, that's, that's my boy right up there. Oh yeah, and then you know, little Johnny gets up to hit the ball, you know, and you're like, come on Johnny, and you make an absolute fool of yourself because you love that child. Go ahead, keep making a fool of yourself, it's okay. Because we all relate. That's part of being a parent, right? And that's what happens here. The father doesn't just tell Jesus, you're my beloved son. He lets the whole world around him know, this is my boy. This is my boy. And some of you, you're, you're trying to blow your own trumpet, get acknowledged, you know, put yourself over there to be seen. I remember years ago when I was a, a young believer, very young believer, a lot of different prophetic guys would come to our churches and places we were at and they'd call me out. You know? and, and I didn't want to be called out because my dad was a prophet and a preacher and I didn't want to be a prophet and preacher. I had a, I had a license plate holder that said millionaire in training. That's where I was going, okay? I was gonna get into property development and ownership and I was gonna make money and I did not wanna be a preacher. So these prophets, you know, they would, they would be um, standing up front and I'd be sitting in the back and somebody's head would be there and as they began to try to reach me or speak to me, I'd kinda of move behind them. I didn't want them to call me out. But, but there was also a time in my life where that changed and every time a prophetic voice would come into town, I'd be like, you know, I'd be instead, if that prophet moved this way and he couldn't see me because the head was blocking, I'd move out there. Like, I want a word, I want a word. I need my, my identity validated. I need to know I'm important. I need, to, I need direction for my life. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but let me just tell you this. God knows where you live. He has your phone number, your address, and he can speak to you right where you are right now. And he can speak to others about you. You don't have to strive. Is this talking to anybody? Stage three is with you or with whom I am well pleased. It's both. He says to Jesus, with you I'm well pleased. He says to the others around him, with whom I am well pleased. Again, he hadn't done anything. He hadn't done anything in ministry. But he and his father had an intimate friendship, an intimate relationship, a father-son business. They were working together to redeem the world. And he was well pleased with him. You're his beloved son or daughter based completely on the merits of Jesus. He made you for his pleasure. Now, I want you to think for a minute. Come on, be honest. When you think about your relationship with God, does the word God takes pleasure in you or the phrase God takes pleasure in you really resonate inside of you? Think about it. Do you think God is really happy and pleased with you? Do you think he takes great joy in you? Now, maybe there are times in worship you sense that. But have you ever really thought about the fact that God takes great pleasure in you? Think about how that would change your life. Think about if every day you got up and you had this sense right from the moment you got up, God's really happy with me. He takes great pleasure in me. He can't wait to see what I'm gonna do today. God's, now, not like you know the Lord doesn't have foreknowledge and he doesn't know what we're gonna do, but I get this picture in my mind almost like you know he's, he's kind of on the edge of his seat. What's Doug gonna do today? Now some of you think he's thinking, what's Doug gonna do today? Right, because that's the way we relate to God. We can't imagine him taking pleasure in us. But when he said that to his own son and about his own son, I, I, I can imagine, I don't know what father's happy voice must sound like, but can you imagine this resonating voice in all creation saying, with you, I am well pleased. I am really happy with you. I take great joy in you. And I wanna say that to you. 
You might not believe it, but God takes such pleasure in you. Think about children. I, Peggy and I were talking about this. She was talking about this today. One of the things that happens when you get out of parenting and you get moved toward being a grandparent is you realize as a parent how uptight you were. Any other parents can relate to that? Come on, you realize, wow, man, I took that way too seriously sometimes. Peggy and I were talking. Peggy was uptight. Notice I said she was. <laughs> I was a little bit, actually a lot, but we were uptight. You know how it is, you wanna do it perfectly. You don't wanna make any mistakes. These are little people, this is your charge. You gotta do it right. You gotta make sure these children grow up to be holy and good, love Jesus, and, and you, know, you wanna do that. So you're working really hard to make sure you do it just right, and so you're always uptight, and they're doing amazing things in your presence all the time, and you're missing them. You're missing the delight. You're missing the pleasure. You know, I, I was at a store recently and uh, I was standing in line and there was a mom with two daughters. And those two daughters, they weren't being disruptive, they weren't being troublemakers, but they were just being girls. And they were bitten, getting all, they were playing with these hats they had and they were goofing around and giggling and poking each other and they were standing there in the line and I, I remember I was standing there and I was trying to be careful because I didn't want this lady to think I was a creep. And that's a sad thing, is we live in a culture, you can't even be like looking at kids laughing about it without you know, people thinking, oh, it's a creeper. But I was looking at these kids and I was just like, man, they're just so carefree. And I noticed the mom wasn't uptight. And it was noteworthy to me. She was laughing along with him. She's taking care of the transaction. She's kind of poking at him and she's laughing and she's not being like, stop it, stop it. Because normally that's what you, stop it, shut up, be quiet. If you do that anymore, you're not gonna get such and such. You know, I mean, that wasn't happening. And so I followed her out of the store. I know, creeper. I know <laughs> we walk out the door, I said, excuse me, I just wanted to tell you that, uh, you know, I, I was just noticing your interaction with your daughters, and I, I, I know this might seem a little weird to you, but I wanted to commend you as a mom, because moms are under a lot of pressure, and they beat themselves up, and they feel like they're failing all the time, but you were so attentive to your kids, and they're happy, and you can tell they're, they're well-adjusted, and you, you took time with them. You noticed. You recognized what they were doing, and, and um, she was like, it was shocking to her. Oh, thank you, and I was just like, bless you, you know, I just... Bless you for, for what you're doing. I, I just felt, I told her, I said, I'm a Christian. I just felt like you needed to know you're doing a good job, mommy. And then I left, and she, I could tell she was just kind of, she stood there for a minute. What just happened? Nobody notices that stuff. Nobody cares about that. And Father notices. Do you know every single little obedient act you do, he takes notice of? See, we think he only notices the disobedient ones. He only notices when we screw up. He only notices the sin. But every time you resist temptation and you win, every time you have a win, yeah, you lose sometimes, but every time you have a win, your father celebrates. Every time you don't do that thing that's tripped you up continually, he celebrates. He takes such pleasure in you. See, we're having a moment right now. Did you, did you just, are you aware? Father's here. Did you, did you sense that? Father's presence is here in a powerful way. And not that he wasn't here before, but Father just moved in the room in a real special way. And he moved in the room so that you would know that he takes pleasure in you. Every little obedient act, every effort you make that you feel, I tried, I did my best at that thing. I, I tried to share Jesus with that neighbor and I felt like I stepped all over my tongue and I made a fool of myself. And oh man, I, they're probably never gonna wanna come to the Lord. And you beat yourself up, right? And you don't realize but that, that try, that effort, God will take your little failures and little mess-ups and he'll anoint them and he'll bless them and that person will go away and you'll, the presence of the Lord through you will linger and talk to them. Every obedient act, every little thing you do is pleasurable to God. You're beloved. With you, he is well-pleased. And listen, you might be here and, and you don't know what I'm talking about because you don't know Jesus yet. And you're kind of checking us out, right? Maybe somebody invited you, you're visiting, you heard this church was cool, and you're checking it out, and you're like, what is he talking about? He's talking about God, almost like God's real. 
He is. And it's not an accident that you're here. If you're questioning that, if you're like, what am I doing here? You're here because your father, your real father, has been chasing you, drawing you, wooing you. The thoughts you've had as you've laid in bed at night are the father's heart toward you. Even the stuff where you feel bad about stuff that you used to not even care about, the stuff that you've done under the influence of drugs or alcohol, the things that you've looked at or engaged in, and you never used to care, and all of a sudden you find in your conscience and your heart you're sick about them, and you don't like them, and you're like, what is going on with me? Why do I even care about that? That is the love and the mercy of God reaching out to you, appealing to you, saying that stuff is destroying you. It's going to ruin your life. It's going to cause your soul to be damned. I love you. I want to rescue you from that damnation and make you a son or daughter that's beloved God's here right now he's talking to you and the last stage is listen to him you know we need to be heard now hear me on this we need to listen too but we need to be heard we were created by human being by God excuse me sorry we were created by God as human beings to be communicators Jesus is called the Word. Think about that. He's the communication, the narrative, the story of God. If Jesus is the communication and the story of God, that tells us something about God's essential nature. When God created the heavens and the earth, how did he do it? He spoke and it happened. Let there be, let there be, let there be, let there be. That tells us something about God. God is a communicating being, and he made communicating beings. But sometimes we're striving so much to be heard, and we have to trust that God will make a way for us to be heard. Look at this text in uh, Matthew 17. I've already gone over, Jesus, have mercy on my soul. Amen. It's second service? Okay, so I can preach the everlasting gospel? Praise the Lord. All right. Some of you are like, oh no, never give a preacher that word. I'm gonna be sensitive, okay? But, but look at um, Matthew 17, one through eight. We're gonna go through a story. I'll go through this quickly. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led him up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. Greek word for metamorphosis. He went through a change. And his face shone like the sun. Now, use your imagination. Come on, this is true. This happened. This isn't a story. Just a little story. This is real. So you're looking, you're up on the mountain with Jesus. You're Peter, James, or John. Or you're a fly on the wall. You're up on the mountain or a fly on a stick or a fly, whatever. You know what I'm saying. And Jesus is changing in front of you. And suddenly this one who's been veiled all along and has been an extraordinary man and, and, and even one chapter before, Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He had a revelation from the Father. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. This one who's been veiled and we don't really know who he is, he begins to be changed and he's shining like the sun Think about that, like the sun. So he's like, wah, wah. you know, you're like, whoa, what the heck? And it says, his clothes became as white as light. The glory of God that was contained within him even transformed the very garments he wore, and they began to shine like light. Incredible. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, did, did, did you notice anywhere in the text where Peter said, what do you think about, or where Jesus said, what do you think about this, Peter? It's not in there. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good we're here. If you wish, I will make three tents. Three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking. Notice that. When behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. Notice, but Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now, this is one of the most profound moments in the whole Bible. Peter speaks of it in his letter 
that he saw this glorious moment. And what we have happening here is Moses and Elijah represent all of the Old Testament, all of the Old Covenant. Moses is the law, Elijah is the prophets. Everything that God had done throughout the history of Israel is represented right there on that mountaintop. They represent good theology. They represent sound doctrine. They represent actually a revelation of Jesus. But Peter's there and he sees all this happen and he misinterprets it. And what does he do? He does what we often do. When we have an encounter with God, our first temptation is what do you want me to do? I love when Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus. You remember that story? Those of you who, who read the Bible, you remember Paul was on his way to go persecute Christians and Jesus appeared to him and it was the noonday and Jesus was so bright he blinded Paul. Paul falls to the ground and he says two things to Jesus. Who are you and what do you want me to do? But Peter forgot who are you. All he spoke was what do you want me to do? And that's what we do. We, we get busy of wanting to do something. And he's like, I'll build three tents here. And we'll have a, a place where pilgrims can come from all over the world. And we'll have the Moses tent, the Elijah tent, and the Jesus tent. And the Father's having none of it. The Father's saying, you don't understand. Moses and Elijah pointed to Jesus. The whole point of this mountaintop experience is not Moses and Elijah. It's Jesus. They came to focus on him. He's everything. And then he says, Peter gets shut down, he gets overshadowed by the glory and the voice of God, and what does God say? Listen to him. And this is the last thing that's really powerful in our lives. It's when God begins to give you a voice, and he tells others to listen to what you have to say. They don't know that's what's happening, but some of you right now, you're facing family situations, and you're trying to force it. You got a family member, you're going to lead them to Jesus kicking and screaming whether they want to come or not, right? And so you're getting, they're getting mad at you and your relationship's being stressed and strained and you're going to lead them to Jesus, bless God, right? And what, what I want to say to you is rest in your sonship and wait on the Holy Spirit and let God talk to them about you. Let God go before you. Let God be the one to validate you. You have people that you work with. You have people around in your life. You're going into a new ministry. You're trying to reach the young people of the region and, and touch them. And, and you're wondering, what's the technique? What's the methodology? What do we need to do? Keep preaching. Keep sharing Jesus. But trust that God will give you the voice. Because he's going to tell others, listen to him. Listen to her. He can do that. He can work on your behalf. Amen? And I love what happens at the very end of the story, how it always should be in every part of our walk with Jesus, at the very end of the story. They're struck to the ground in the fear of the Father. They experience the fear of the Lord while they're down there under the shadow of this cloud, being overshadowed by the glory and the voice of God. Jesus comes to them, and I love what it says. He touches them. He touches them. Mm. And they lift up their eyes, and they see no one but Jesus only. That's the story of the scripture. That's Genesis, the revelation right there. How does the revelation end? Even so, come Lord Jesus. Right, Jesus is the everything. And he's the one that tells you who you are and gives you your identity. And some of you in this room, I, I just want to tell you, you need to remember right now, just remember, you're beloved. You're beloved. God's crazy about you. If he had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If he had a wallet, you'd be in his wallet. If he had an iPhone or, God forbid, an Android, your picture, I just had to do that for Jonathan's sake, your picture would be on it, right? He loves you. You're beloved. It's simple. It's the simplest message. Do you, do you know the Apostle John? He, he got caught up to heaven. It says on the Lord's day, he was in the spirit. He heard a voice behind him saying, come up here. He turned around and whoom, he gets caught up into heaven and he sees the greatest apocalyptic revelation of Jesus Christ in history. And at the end of his life, you know what his message was? Little children, love one another. And he rooted it all in 1 John out of because you're beloved. You're beloved. 
The greatest revelation of the Bible, the greatest depth, height, width, breadth is the love of God. And being loved by God. That's your message to the world around you. God loves them. Amen? And He loves you. I hope that's encouraging somebody. Amen. I hope it is. I hope it's encouraging you. You're beloved.